Salutations, new friends, and welcome to the White Rose Shenanigans podcast, hosted by me, Shade, also known as Ethereal on AO3 and FFN, as well as on Discord, and specifically the White Rose Shenanigans Discord. What am you going to get? What am you going to get? This is starting out excellently. Well, I have no idea what I'm doing, and I have been blackmailed into this by the aforementioned Discord. So, fuck it. I'm gonna talk about White Rose. From the television show, well, online show, Ruby. My favorite show, and of course my favorite ship. Uh, I will probably discuss other various things also that I like about it, just general concepts and such, as well as, well, the show itself, the ship itself, and I might go into some of my alternate ships that I also like a little bit less, but still there. Also going to attempt to maybe do some interviews with some of the more popular writers and artists in the fandom and learn a lot more about like their processes and such. At the moment, I guess I'm doing a little bit of an introduction here. Um, again, because I've been uh, beaten up and, and battered about this. Uh, that is exaggeration for anyone who is concerned. That said, it is currently 11.39pm on the 5th of February 2021. 2021. I don't know what I'm doing. And that means tomorrow... In a little bit less than 12 hours, we will be returning from the hiatus of Volume 8 of Ruby and going straight into the action, I think. So I have watched uh, the teaser, a few various things, and I think what I'm going to do for this inaugural attempt is maybe go over what I'm thinking of Volume 8 so far. Uh, in general... And also, I guess, in context of White Rose. Well, in context of White Rose, let's be real. There's been very little content. Uh, however, I try not to be overly salty about it. Some people are a little bit more. Some people are a little bit less. Some people are just happy to be here. And I just don't really give a damn. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. So instead, let's, let's focus on the volume as a whole, I suppose. We're, we're about halfway through it, and it's been one of the longest breaks they've done. I understood why, of course. But, so we started Volume 8 with everything going to shit, which we kind of expected after the ending of Volume 7. And between Volume 7 and 8, there was such... During Volume 7 as well, there was such fandom divide over Ruby and Ironwood's decision-making. Ultimately, Ruby was proven right, but she couldn't have known that. However, I'm going to point out something that I think a lot of the fandom missed, and that has been bothering me about all that dis argument, and it's going to lead into what I think of Volume 8. And that is that it is entirely possible for both Ruby and Ironwood to both be have been doing the best they thought they could do and making the best decisions at that time and both be simultaneously right and wrong. 
because they were in a no-win situation. First off, Salem was going to be there with the whale no matter what anybody did. It would have already had to have been on the way. The amount of travel distance, we do not know where she was beforehand, but we know that she couldn't have been close enough because Atlas does have incoming and outgoing flights. Their military had been flying around. You would be scouting. You know this. So that means that the whale, which caught them completely off guard, had to have been traveling for a while because they would have found Salem's Kingdom if it was closer. At least that's the logic I'm going with here. Now, there is an argument to be made, in my mind, that Ironwood's plan was doomed to fail regardless. And I say this because of a few reasons, and some people disagree with me, and some people agree. The first is his assumption that the Grimm could not reach the atmosphere. Just because they hadn't doesn't mean they couldn't evolve to do so, or at least Salem couldn't forcibly evolve them. She quite literally has magic. Even if that is not true, if she got the other three relics, I am quite guaranteed the three relics is greater than one, and that they would have found a way to bring Atlas back down. However, Ironwood was in a no-win situation, and as a military man, he tried to focus on the military thing. Now I want to address the elephant in the room, and that is Ruby's decision to lie to Ironwood, while he was being incredibly open and upfront with her. A lot of people took this as very hypocritical, but I'm going to make a note here that people are forgetting. A very important one to me. Of the four headmasters, Ruby has met three, and so far, two of them lied to her. One of them totally betrayed them, and the other one, maybe Ospin had some point in his lies? There, there's an argument both ways, but he still did. And he's still being pretty manipulative. And I'll be honest, I feel pretty bad for Oscar, the whole thing with that thing. And that goes back to my view on the gods and how they're really at fault for all this shit. But that's a topic for a different time, I suppose. That all said, Ruby didn't know the right decision, but she knew better than to immediately trust. And honestly, I think she was right in that. I think her lie was bad. I'm surprised he believed it. She is not a good liar. However, that being said, it really was a necessary thing to do from her perspective. Because you have to remember that we as the audience have not a perfect... We do not have perfect information. Obviously, only the writers do. But we have more information than everyone because we get to see the villain's perspective. We get to see the conversations, we get to see what Salem's doing, and they don't have this knowledge. And we get to see what they're doing behind closed doors, we get to see Ironwood's plan with Penny and in Volume 8, and blah blah we get to see Ruby's conversation with everyone, and all this stuff. And in Volume 7, they started setting up a conflict that they brought out into Volume 8, which is Ruby and Yang. Personally, I hated it. But I'll get to that in a moment. I guess I just want to close out that, like, the argument between Ironwood and Ruby is that neither... Ruby had a reason for being mistrustful. And Ironwood had a reason for being paranoid. The difference between the two is that Ruby still 
is trying to save people and Ironwood is trying to save people in his own way, but he's being very short-sighted about it. His plan hinges on a lot of guesswork that he doesn't have a damn clue about. And in the process, he's willing to use anyone, which he's clearly doing. So we get into Volume 8, and we get into one of the main conflicts, which is Ruby versus Yang. And I didn't like when it was being set up in Volume 7 that Yang was the one being mistrustful of Ruby. And I don't like it now still, because it doesn't make sense to me. Now, I'll admit, I'm biased, because my favorite relationship in the show is actually just the sisterly bond between Yang and Ruby. It's one of my favorites, like, canonical things that we see. I just do not agree with this concept that they're going with here. This idea that, you know, there's no choice in the matter, I suppose. And that, you know, Yang is all, like, completely against Ruby, almost aggressively so, here. And it was like they wanted to just split everybody up for some reason. You know, it felt a little ham-handed to me. Just like Ren and Nora still feels a little ham-handed to me. And I honestly think the only reason Jean went with the two of them isn't because he disagreed with Ruby, because you notice he didn't have any criticism for it at all. I think it was more he just decided that they needed a level head with the two who were currently not being level-headed. And I have to agree, you know, personal feelings on Jean aside, kind of necessary. That said, then we get into a few of the other major incidents throughout the uh, show and uh, throughout the season. So we'll talk about a couple of the other highlights. Uh, the Hound was one of them. Uh, I love it. It is super creepy and it's great. It's probably my favorite new Grimm. And there was a theory running around, which I didn't really have a lot of faith in at first. And even now, I, it's a crack theory. But that established, I'm going to move towards this for a reason. There is a theory that the Hound is Summer, because we know that Salem and Ruby encountered, or that Salem and Summer encountered each other, uh, based on what Salem said in Volume 7. What we also wouldn't, uh, what we also know is we don't actually know that she's dead. But you know that's a lot of you know the dead mom trope, pretty common. That's a lot of eh, maybe. However, there's something I was I, I thought about after one episode, and it was the way that Salem was like petting it and talking about it. It's clearly a unique rim in some fashion. It is special to Salem, and you notice that Cinder feared it. Which is weird, because she hasn't really feared any of the other Grimm she's seen yet. You know, Emerald, Mercury, they have. However, there was something I was thinking about. And that is that, you know, Ruby's character, like all the other characters, has an allusion to either a fairy tale, a mythological figure, or even a historical figure. Ruby's allusion, not illusion, allusion, A, is to Red Riding Hood. Now, in the original tales of Red Riding Hood, 
grandmother was swallowed whole by the big bad wolf and was cut out and rescued by a huntsman. Now, in this case, Ruby is the huntsman. So, I feel like you can see where I'm going with that. Now, I'll be also honest. It's totally crack. It's totally a crack fucking theory. I have... I... I think it'd be kind of an interesting take, but I don't think they go with that because it kind of is a little bit dark. But still, grim corruption really has been a theme with Cinder and the slow growth of her grim arm. And it really does make me wonder, and the fact the Hound can talk, the fact the Hound moves in such a weird way and has this strange evolution ability it has. So then also, with, with that established, so that's just a theory. Let's talk about Cinder a little bit and her backstory. Now, I will freely admit, I still fall under the camp of, uh, this is pretty true of almost most of the villains in the series, is cool motive, still genocide. It's not that I can't feel empathy or pity for what they went through or what they've suffered. I mean, Cinder's past was shit. Clearly a big reference to Cinderella with the evil stepsisters and stepmother, blah de blah And I guess that he was supposed to represent the Prince Charming, but it was more of a fatherly than romantic thing there, I felt, but... My problem with that part was, like, threefold. One, he knew he was training an emotionally unstable girl at that point. Two, her reacting the way she did to the way they treated her wasn't wrong, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I'm sorry, they were abusing her and shocking her with a fucking collar. I think most people would understand why she'd snap. His response, though, to immediately draw his weapon, I think showed maybe a weakness in Huntsman training, in a way. It sounds like he was acting more like a law enforcement officer who didn't see the shades of gray. She was a disturbed young woman who had been abused and who snapped. She needed mental health. Uh... Now, of course, I, I feel like he could have done more to try to convince her to turn herself in. You know, possibly you could have her go before and maybe they could help her and she could still get out and become a huntsman herself or something of the sort. I mean, you can't just let it slide. She still killed three people. And it's easy to say they deserve it when you're watching it as a show. I don't know if you'd say it as easily in real life. I think I still probably would say it. But even then, that leaves scars mentally, I feel. I mean, she already was scarred mentally. And physically, like emotionally. She needed help regardless. And I feel like he could have done more to reach out first. Because the moment you drew your weapons, you set yourself up as enemy. Because that was all she knew. And you helped her learn that in a way because huntsmen are initially trained to see only enemies and people because the enemies are the grim and there is no mercy with grim none 
There's not supposed to be. They're dark, soulless monsters. They're about as generic a, you know, don't feel pity for these things. Now, of course, it was for plot reasons, because Cinder is one of the villains, etc., etc., but still. Uh, I liked it, but I also felt that was a little rushed, which is kind of my criticism of Volume 7 and 8 as a whole, is the rush. Penny losing that blade, and them using it to hack her. I was angry. I feel that that hurts her storyline and arc as not a puppet, not Pinocchio, as not a robot. She's supposed to be a real girl. Real girls can't get hacked. That pissed me off, not gonna lie. I hate, and it's such a trope. It's such an obvious place to go. That said, I'm really interested in seeing how they deal with it. The trailer seems to show that she is bleeding in her own way. Um, you know, with the, the fluorescent green thing. And I'm so hopeful that there will be some Weiss and Ruby interaction. Even outside of being a shipper, I always want intra-team Ruby interaction. We've had a lot of intra-team Juniper. We've had a lot of interaction from various people with Oscar and with Penny. But I'm not seeing a lot inside Team Ruby. We're getting some Bumblebee, but not even that much. And they just split them apart right off the bat. We, I mean, every Ladybug shipper is still like, I'm just happy to be here because they talked once in Volume 6. You know, and again, Volume 3 is like last time I can think of major monochrome interactions. Maybe a little bit in 6 as well. And same with uh, Freezer Berm. I think back to 5. But again, in each of these cases, I'm listing a volume here where we get a couple of crumbs. And I'm going, the fuck? Volume 6 had the most, like, shipper fuel between, you know, White Rose and Bumblebee, sure. But even then, it wasn't a lot. And setting aside the shipper in me, it's just... These are our four main cast. And yes, yes, I, I'm aware, team, Junior, John, Nora, and Ren are supposed to be nearly as important, and that's fine. But we're doing focus on a million other characters, too. A million. And I'm just like, can we remember Team Ruby, please? That said, I'm hoping that tomorrow's episode will show some interaction, especially of the two of them, like, maybe talking, because... Ruby, I am waiting for the snap. I'm waiting for it so bad. I have wanted her to snap for so long. Because just emotionally, she has to be just drained. And everyone else got to snap, and she hasn't. So, I think I'll turn to my last major, like, plot point in Volume 8 that I think's going to make a huge difference, and that is... Well, there's two. One is them being stupid enough to let Watts around technology. Seriously, Ironwood? Seriously? Seriously. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Do I need to say anything about that? Do I need to make any point about how fucking stupid that was? Ironwood's so... Ironwood's problem is his overconfidence now. He's, he's just so 
arrogant about all of this. He's so cocksure. And you can't... And they're not even searching him. That's the other thing. Like, that that's unrealistic to me. You're telling me you're going to put him and then not search him? Seriously? Man, the moment he left the room, I'd be like, alright, you're getting strip searched, motherfucker. Just, it's happening. Put him back in fatigues, not even in his normal clothes. Like, don't let him do this. And then we have their mission. Which they're letting Jean, Yang, and Ren participate partially in. And don't think I'm ignoring Ren snapping about them not being prepared. My thing is that I think he's, he's, he's wrong. Because, I'm sorry, but it's not that you weren't prepared to be huntsmen, it's that you weren't prepared for the end of the world, and nobody is. Just, just, just nobody is. I'm sorry, what, in what world does anybody expect to be prepared for the end of the world? <laughs> that makes no sense to me. His argument doesn't hold water when you think about that. Nobody could have prepared or made decisions for this. Nobody. Ozpin was wrong. Ironwood was wrong. Fucking Leo just turned traitor. Straight up. Cowardly lion right there. Like, nobody could have prepared for any of this. It's impossible. And to judge Ruby based on that is honestly just wrong of him to do. Not that she hasn't made mistakes, but again, she doesn't have perfect information. They're all making mistakes. So this leads to two little, th two things, one big and one little. The first, Ren's semblance change. I was really interested in that. The implications of that are huge, and I really want to see what he sees of, like, other people. And the clear indicator that nobody on the Aesops or Winter is actually okay with what's going on. They're burying their feelings, which is pretty normal for military members. But it doesn't seem like they're feeling very stable about it right now, either. And then, there's what Ozpin said. Or rather, Ozpin, as Oscar said to Hazel. And M overheard. It's what I've thought since they showed us in Volume 6, what happened to Salem. The fact that what she wants is release. At the end of this, she just wants to die. And can you blame her? I can blame her for deciding she's going to take the whole world with her to do it. But I can't blame her for that being her desire. I really can't. I genuinely think that... That that's exactly what she should, like... It's a reasonable thing to want. We don't know for sure how long she lived, but the implication was she was around long enough to watch life re-evolve into sapient humans and faunus. It's a long gods be damned time. Even assuming the two brothers, you know. Even, even if we assume that they, like, sped it up or something, it's still forever. She's insane. She's been insane. I mean, you'd be, you would be insane. Who wouldn't be? Immortality's a curse. Statistically, if you're immortal and can't die to age or injury, you will someday just be trapped somewhere forever, until the end of time. And 
I mean, that's Salem's fate right now, unless she finds a way. And her only thought of the way is uh, having the gods just wipe the slate clean. I do not approve of this. I She's not right. She's completely morally wrong, and it's a horrible thing. But I like that it's a... I like that it's a reason that makes sense for her. It makes her a much more compelling villain to me. So, that's kind of my, like, catch-up on my thoughts of Volume 8, I guess. And it kind of jumped around a lot because that's what I do, because I'm an idiot. I think that this is the best I'm going to get for my first attempt. So, I would like some little bit of feedback from all you people that are going to listen to it. And then, you know, our pa were the ones who pestered me to do this. Looking at you, Discord. Literally, actually, as I sit here recording, I just started to look at my Discord, which is pointed at the White Rose Shenanigan server. Currently, some of them are talking about Genshin Impact. Sounds about right. So, I think it's time I signed off. Uh, maybe this will be the last, the first and the last, or maybe this will just be the start of something fun for me to do in my off time. Either way... I bid you all a fond farewell. Shade out.